Welcome to You Sound Like a Girl. Hello, everyone. I am Colleen, and my pronouns are she, her, hers. And I am Emily Rose, and my pronouns are also she, her, and hers. And you are listening to You Sound Like a Girl, which is a storytelling project that explores and elevates cis and trans women's stories about our voices. We are aiming to explore social norms around cis and trans women's voices by kind of investigating what it means to sound like a woman and what it means for women to use our voices in the world. In this episode, we're going to be discussing using our voices as voters, and we're going to be talking to Catherine Walsh. Um, She ran for New York State Assembly, and she is actively involved in local politics here in Brooklyn, and just talking to her more generally about activism and, and the power of the vote. So in 2016, You Sound Like a Girl originally started because I noticed how biased the news coverage of Hillary Clinton was. Fast forward, it's now 2020. We're in the midst of another presidential election. So we figured it would be fitting for us to do an entire episode on voting and how voters, specifically women voters, can use their voices at the polls and even run for office. Yes. So I'm going to bring in a little context right here. In the last presidential election in 2016, only a little more than half of all eligible voters actually voted. So I'm gonna say that again, so we can sink in, right? Only a little more than half, 58% of all eligible voters actually voted. This is not good news. However, some good news is that women who are registered to vote are more likely than men to actually go and do it. So in every election since 1980, the number of female voters has exceeded the number of male voters. And we know that women are more likely to vote for other women than men are. So women are more likely to vote for women than men are to vote for women. For more context in the last elections in 2016, women were 13% more likely than men to have voted for Clinton. So what does this mean? It means at least in part, that if we can get more women running for office, we have the means to get them elected, which is awesome. And I just want to offer kind of a caveat here. Voter registration procedures and forms vary by state, but at least in New York, which is where Colleen and I are recording from, where we live, the only two gender options available on your voter registration form are male and female. So that is one of, I'm sure, a host of reasons why statistics about voting are really broken down by that gender binary of male and female. On a personal note, I will also say my involvement with politics has changed and evolved over the past four years. I, like a lot of Americans, really familiarized myself and became more involved with my local officials, local elected officials, and really educated myself on how these folks do their jobs and keep those jobs. I've actually worked on quite a few campaigns here locally in my neighborhood, and I've even run for office twice. I currently sit on Brooklyn's Democratic County Committee. And for those of you who don't know, County Committee is the most local level of party governance in New York. So like we said, today with us, we have a guest to talk about voting and running for office, and her name is Catherine Walsh. Um, Full disclosure, I actually worked on her campaign for New York State Assembly earlier this year, and I'm really excited to introduce her to all of you. Catherine was born and raised in Sunset Park, Brooklyn, where I am currently recording from. She is an urban planner, a former teacher, and a climate activist. She spent the past 10 years working with hundreds of city and state governments across the United States on climate change, planning for clean energy, green housing, sustainable transportation, and building local green economies. 
She has two master's degrees, one in international business relations and environmental and energy policy, that is a mouthful, and another in urban environmental planning. She also served in the Obama administration's Department of Energy, International and Policy Affairs. Amazing. And now her focus is on making change locally. She sits on the Brooklyn County Committee with me and on Community Board 7. This past June, she also ran for New York State Assembly in Assembly District 51, Southern Brooklyn, ultimately receiving 2,431 votes, which was roughly 23% in a four-way race. Welcome, Catherine. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. Would you like to introduce yourself to our listeners? Tell them a little bit about yourself. I'd love to. My name is Catherine Walsh. I use she, her pronouns. I am born and raised here in Sunset Park in Southern Brooklyn. I am a trained urban planner. I work with cities across the country on climate change planning efforts. I'm also a climate activist as well as a former teacher. Wow, that's a lot. We're going to dive into some of that. Starting with how did you get involved in local politics in the first place? I've spent the last 10 years working with local elected officials, whether that's in the city or the state, and really seeing up close and personal the power that local policy and planning has on local communities. And we had the same assembly member in our district for the past 26 years, and he had run unchallenged for many years. I have been involved in our local community board as well as our assembly district committee and seeing the lack of leadership out of our state assembly member's office on really critical issues and corruption in his office. Understanding how much can be done when you have strong leadership, this is one of the things that compelled me to run. As a woman, has that affected your decision to be involved in local politics or politics in general? Like, why do you feel it's important for women to get involved? I think one of the things that happened to me, even in this process of deciding if I would run, is this question of why me? Are you qualified to run? And of course, one of the things that people would say is, "Look at Donald Trump. If he's president, anyone can run for office." Oh man! But I, I think as a, I think as a woman or a person of color, you're constantly second guessing yourself, and you don't see leadership that looks like you, and wondering whether or not you have the skills or the experience, or if you can raise enough money. And I think that local leadership and politics at the national level have really failed us because they've created a system that seems so complicated to get in and the data is not clear and the access is not there. And really coming down to this question of whether or not you're capable to do it. But at the end of the day, if you really want to fight for the district, if you want to change the game, you have to change the players and put yourself out there. You can serve if you're smart and dedicated and can see the path to victory. Amazing. So we're talking about running for office, which I would encourage everyone to do. But if you're not able to run for office, why do you think voting is really integral and really powerful? I really understand why people feel frustrated with voting and thinking that their voice doesn't matter. I do really see that as a failure, again, of the party system that we have and the lack of access. And frankly, the voter suppression that has existed in this country, you know, who has even had access to the vote, who's been allowed to vote, the right to vote. There's a new documentary that Stacey Abrams just put out about voting and voter suppression in in her race in Georgia. 
but you are voting because it is one tool, it is one pathway to talk about future priorities and talk about what matters in your community, in your district, whether that's at the most local level or if it's at the national level, that's one opportunity, but it doesn't stop there. And I think that's what's so important. The work is happening before the vote. You have to continue to stay engaged and that can't be the only opportunity and the only referendum. Again, I think this speaks to who gets into office and holding them accountable to make sure that they're creating more access, they're creating more opportunities, and they're creating more inclusive ways for community to show up and to have a vote on what happens in the district, even if it's not at the ballot box. So you're talking about, you know, voting being one pathway, which makes total sense, and that there are other opportunities. Can you talk about a couple examples? Let's say I check my registration and I'm not registered to vote and it's too late for me to register. What else can I be doing both between now and the election and then afterward? Well, I'm thinking about you know, specific issues that we're dealing with here in New York around things that matter and that will have an impact on the community going forward. And a lot of that is around rezoning and development that's happening throughout New York City. And local community boards are, and I, and I serve here in our, our community board seven, which is in Sunset Park in Southern Brooklyn. Local community boards have the tiny piece of the puzzle at the end of the process, which is um, this long process. It's called the urban land use review process, where they get to have their input and their support to say whether a project, you know, should or shouldn't go ahead. But ultimately, it's the local elected officials who decide. And that's just an example of if you can't get involved in your local elections, you know, get involved in your community board. But that process needs to change as well. The process that we know it, this urban land use development process and the way development in New York happens is so broken. The system really doesn't let people participate until the very end. And it also doesn't really give community members a chance to put their hand up, step in, be part of the visioning process, be part of the planning process and get involved. And so that's one thing that I think there's opportunity with city council members, city leadership, the next mayoral candidate in 2021 to really think about how do we change things like the, the land use process decision-making in New York. And ultimately, our podcast is about using our voices and making sure that women and people are heard. So do you have any advice for someone who wanted to use their voice to make these changes that you're talking about? I think as much as you can identify in yourself, if you have a flickering to think about running for office, I strongly encourage you to do it, whether that is running for your local community board or on your school board, or perhaps at city council or assembly or mayor. There's so many ways to plug in. And I think that one step is sort of overcoming any initial hesitation that you might find. But to know that on the other side of this, there is a community of other women who've really stepped up to blaze the trail for us. So there's a lot of good examples that are, that are out there. That's awesome. As someone who has run for office and sits on a community board, what kinds of conversations have you had with people in your neighborhood, either about what they might think about you running for office or their concerns? Can you share some of what that journey has been like and some of the things that you've learned from constituents? One of the challenging things that happened when I was running for office, of course, is the fact that COVID broke out and the impact 
I can talk about what that had on my run and what that meant, but really what it did and the the challenge that our community faces is just the vast inequities in our community. And in the early days of the pandemic, retooled the campaign to ensure that what our role was, was actually doing outreach and that we were calling neighbors and we were checking in on them. So whereas a campaign might've done outreach to introduce the candidate and introduce the vision and the planning, instead we flipped it and really checked in. Do you have what you need? Are you safe? Do you need medical care attention? Do you have someone who you can connect to? We tried to provide as many New York City and New York State-based resources that were available, but the response was too slow. And the city and the state here in New York was failing so many of our community members. So I have organized before with a fellow organizer, and we started a mutual aid network, which has now grown and expanded. There's a whole crew of amazing people who've taken it to new levels, and the work continues under the South Brooklyn Mutual Aid Network. And that's eight months after the pandemic started, and the fact that people still need support on a weekly basis for groceries and deliveries because here in our district, the number of folks who became unemployed, they got sick, they are not eligible. If they're undocumented, they're not eligible for any of the state assistance. And so that really, I would say, overtook the early discussions of the campaign, but then really were the focus throughout. And I think a lot of people right now, especially in the midst of COVID, are wondering, like, how the heck do I get out the vote? How the heck do I reach voters and make sure that November 3rd, but really any election, people are getting to the polls? Do you have any advice for folks? Here in New York, we are encouraging everyone to vote safely and vote early. The fact that we have early voting is something that voting advocates have fought for, really, to ensure that it's accessible, more people can vote. The fact that New York State requires you as an employer to give two hours off to employees so that they could vote, which I would argue is not enough. There's been voting reforms in the last couple of years from new sets of legislators who've come into New York to really make the vote more accessible. And so I would do as much as you can to vote safely, do as much as you can if it's in your capacity to call your two or three friends and make sure that they have a voting plan, that they're voting early to look up their locations and to support each other and keep one another accountable. Absolutely. One question that we're really interested to hear about how do you reach people who maybe don't share your political views or your views about how a city should work or, or public services, things like that? What is your approach to those folks? One of the things that I noticed when I was running was a pattern in particular among, even among people who are voting on my party line that are Democrats. It was a pattern of essentially with three women running against a 26-year sitting incumbent, male incumbent, asking whether or not there should be three women running in this race. And the pattern is that it was coming from men. I didn't have any women ask me this question. So it was male Democrats here in my district who posed this about the three of us, that we should come together and have a discussion. And it struck me that this would not happen if there were men, three other men running in this race against this man. Even among people who hold similar values, who might hold similar vision, whether that's universal health care in the state, ensuring that our public school students have the funding that they need, that our teachers are supported in safe environments. 
that we have climate change planning efforts and resiliency efforts, even, even folks who share that vision, there's still this insidious, systemic, misogynistic inequalities that really pervade local politics. And so to talk about how to work across other groups, it's also about looking at the harms and these views that are really, I think, holding us back, even among Democrats, let's say, or progressive Democrats or left-wing Democrats to, to move forward. That's a big one <laughs> to tackle. So we've actually reached the end of kind of the questions that we wanted to ask you, but is there anything else you want to leave our listeners with or anything that we didn't get to touch upon that you really want to? One of the most incredible things about running for office is the people from near and far who come out to support. And the incredible support that I found was people who I had worked with over the years, local community members I've been organizing with, and new friends. And I just want to acknowledge, Colleen, your support in getting involved in the campaign. We had met through the Democratic County Committee. Yeah. We had done some work with our organizing efforts among Democrats. And the fact that you put your hand up and said, what can I do? How can I support? That's something that we can all do going forward. And if you want to you know, support a, another woman that is, is running nearby, just reach out, send an email, figure out how you can get involved, however much time that you can offer. And it doesn't have to be that you have 10 hours, you could just have the one. And it might not be a, a national race or a state race, but it could be someone locally and knowing, knowing how supportive that, that is and that, that was for me. It was an amazing experience working on your campaign. And I also just want to say the sad reality is pretty much every campaign needs help. If there are any listener is interested, like Katie said, just send an email. I'm sure they have stuff for you to do. Definitely. <laughs> At the end of every episode, we ask our guests to give our listeners a voice, a woman's voice that you appreciated, enjoyed, were inspired by in the past week. So do you have anyone in mind that you can share with our listeners? I would love to highlight Shirley Chisholm. She was an incredible New York State legislator. She also was a presidential candidate in 1972. And I love her slogan, which was unbought and unbossed. Awesome. Yes. If anybody doesn't know who Shirley Chisholm is, definitely Google her. She is an amazing woman with an amazing story. Yes, that is awesome. I love that slogan. In fact, my recommendation today is another woman who seems to me pretty unbossed as well. Her name is Mariam Kaba. I just learned about her yesterday in a class I'm taking. She is a prison abolitionist. She's an organizer. She's an educator. Pretty sure she was in Chicago for a long time and now, now she's back in New York. But folks may have heard that quote that hope is a discipline. And that comes from her. I think it's really powerful, especially in times when I feel like all hope is lost. Amazing. The sister trans woman's voice that I was really inspired by this week was Diablo Cody, who, if you don't know, is a writer. She writes books for television, for movies, etc. And since it is October, I have been consuming a lot of spooky movies. So I watched for the very first time Jennifer's Body, which is a movie that she wrote. I'd never seen it before, which I don't understand how that happened. But it is absolutely fabulous. It's about two young women. It's really about like the teen girl experience with a little bit of, you know, Satanism thrown in there. I just really appreciate Diablo Cody's writings. She centers a lot of women's voices and women's stories. And I highly recommend Jennifer's Body if you haven't seen it yet. Are you aware that Jennifer's Body is based on a true story? What? Yes. Was this young teenage girl like eating people? So the case that it's based on is these three guy friends. They 
come to the conclusion, I don't know how, that in order to be the best band they can be, the most skilled at, you know, like playing bass or whatever, they have to eat a virgin. Yes. Uh Uh-huh. So they make friends with this girl. They decide that she's the one. They were like building this friendship with her getting to know their victim. And then they finally killed her and did all of the horrible things that they did to her body. And eventually one of them sort of couldn't take it anymore. He was like saying he was seeing visions and like literally haunted by what they had done. And so that was the domino that took them all down. Holy crap. That's amazing. I mean, it's terrible, but amazing. You know, the premise of the movie then it's about the girl, right? It, it, I mean, the band is important because they're like the inciting incident, but it's about the victim. She becomes the predator. That's so cool. Yes. It's so good. I was really floored by how good it was. All right. I think that's it. Yeah. Thank you for this opportunity. Really appreciate making the time. Thank you, Katie. It's so good to see yes. your face also. It's so good to see you too. <laughs> so now that we've all been inspired by Catherine, you know, if you don't know if you're registered to vote or you don't know where to go vote in the upcoming election, you can find out all of that information at vote.org. So that's vote, V-O-T-E dot org. Depending where you're located, you may still be able to vote in the upcoming presidential election and all of the down ballot races, even if you're not registered right now. And either way, whether you can vote or not, you can still register to vote so that you'll be able to vote in the next election after that. So if you are not registered to vote, that is absolutely step one. And then vote.org will also be able to tell you the location of your polling place. So you'll just go to vote.org and then click their polling place locator. So you definitely want to make a plan to vote. And if you want to help others make sure their voices are heard, here are some suggestions from Sister District to help you get more involved. First off, you can do postcarding. Postcarding is when you send postcards to voters to get as many people as possible to the polls on election day or, you know, voting absentee or voting early, any of that stuff. Secondly, we want you to post on social media so that everybody knows that you have a voting plan and you hope that they have a voting plan also. You can offer your skills. This relates back to what Catherine was talking about. If there's something that you're passionate about or if there is a candidate running for office that you want to support, you can just call them up, visit their website, see how you can help. But also, you know, if there's something you're passionate about or you just want to get involved more broadly in your community, there are lots of mutual aid groups out there. So kind of doing a little bit of research. Facebook is actually great for this. Figuring out what community groups exist where you live and how you can get involved with them. Related to that is donating. All of these organizations, whether they are campaigns or nonpartisan groups, they need money. You can get out there and phone bank. Phone banking is basically like postcarding, except you are calling voters to make sure that they go to the polls. And then finally, get your friends and family involved. You know, talk about voting, talk about your voting plan, make sure everybody in your network is getting to the polls. You can learn a little bit more about Sister District and their work, getting Democrats elected in the state legislature level at sisterdistrict.com. We'll put the link in the show notes as well. Awesome. So that is it from us today. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Again, our co-hosts are me, Colleen Hughes. And me, Emily Rose Pratz. I also edit our audio, and our amazing researcher is Rachel Levins. Our music is Nice Girl, written and recorded by Reverend Yolanda. 
A huge, huge, huge thank you to today's guest, Catherine Walsh. You can learn about her more and also contact her at catherineforassembly.com. And that is Catherine, K-A-T-H-E-R-I-N-E, forassembly.com. And you can find You Sound Like a Girl at yousoundlikeagirl.com. Email us at yousoundlikeagirl at gmail.com. Or you can find us on Instagram at, wait for it, you sound like a girl. Catch you next time. Bye. Bye.